Hello, it's just me today, but I've got a few stories uh, about uh, various tech issues and also China's propaganda. Uh, the first one I thought was pretty interesting is from Politico, not the average source of this sort of thing, talking about the privacy invasion of wired uh, of of these doorbells. Um, so we had a ring doorbell, which of course very popular. And uh, this person had a ring doorbell with a camera looking outside the front door and many other cameras around the house, including one inside and a business with 15 other cameras at his business, all connected to his account. And the police were investigating his neighbor. So they came and asked him uh, for some pictures of his front doorbell in like an hour period. And he gave them those. And then they came back and asked for all day. And that was too much bother. So he didn't do it. So then he got a letter saying that the police had gone to ring and gotten all the footage from all the cameras connected to his account, including a camera in his house and all the cameras at his business, which seems wildly inappropriate. And, uh, you know, this makes me uh, wonder. There was another story recently about cloud services um, that are just turning off features and putting features behind paywalls. And one person said, I had cameras and the feature of cloud storage is put behind a paywall. So I just have local storage instead. And I certainly would consider using local storage or a private cloud. If you have one of these things, if you hand them over to a company, you really don't know what they're going to do with it. And I remember the, the common obvious argument where it's perfectly fine. It doesn't matter because I'm not doing anything bad is highly debatable. This is the problem. I remember my parents told me this years ago when I was a kid, I said, well, who cares about police surveillance because I'm not doing anything bad? They said, they will just outlaw something about you uh, where whatever you're doing, which isn't considered bad today, will suddenly be considered bad tomorrow. And we're certainly seeing this now. There's a very interesting uh, thing called the Hartman Report here, which I don't know who this guy is, but I thought the article was quite good. Um, saying, you know, there's this famous poem by a pastor in the 30s when, when Hitler was rising to power, saying, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was a socialist, and then they come for more and more groups of people. But in fact, they didn't come for the socialists first in Nazi Germany. They came for queer people. In particular, they came for trans people. I was very interested to read this. In the 1930s, um, there was an Institute for Sexual Research in Berlin, and they pioneered the first gender-affirming surgery for trans people. And gay and lesbian people were generally accepted in German society at that time in the cities, and they were pioneering in trans rights. And that was where Hitler started, just like our current fascist party rising in America. They started by attacking trans people because I think they count upon the fact that it just is sort of strange and confusing and uh, I, one of the CPAC people said, there's no such thing as trans. We have to get rid of the whole idea. It's not a real thing. It certainly seems to be a real thing. I mean, I don't know anything about it, but I don't see any reason to doubt these people that say, I really feel this way. I really want to be the other gender. It really makes me feel unhappy to be this, and I want to change the other. And who am I to say they can't? I mean, it should be up to them and their doctor. And if they're a child, it should be up to them and their parents and their doctor. I don't see how the state needs to intervene here. It just seems like a choice you make what to do with your own body and uh, nobody's business but your own. But um, it is a good way to get people angry. And it's just what's happening here. And the, the, in, this, in 1933, now the Nazis started by burning 20,000 books and manuscripts about gender and sexuality in the street, one of their early book burnings. And this is how they helped feed this anger and resentment. And this is 
what the modern Republican Party, which is nothing but a fascist party, is. Um, they they stir up hatred against minorities that they think they can that people will not be afraid of, and and uh, gradually ramp up the heat until they're just uh, ending the First Amendment. No more separation of church and state. No more freedom of the press. Now the government's going to control everything, and pretty soon, no more elections, and just a Trump dictatorship is what they want, and uh, that's where it goes. So, as I say, that I'm watching the Trump uh, collapse of American government, and the one thing that seems very, very strong in America is the free press. And here we are; you can really express these opinions right now, still in America. They haven't managed to stop it yet. It seems to hold up better than anything else. Of course, the courts have held up moderately well, but not too well. So we'll see. But um, hopefully this will burn out. We've been here before um, with the Red Scare and before it in the 40s uh, where the fascists rise in America. And uh, we have had the pendulum swing back in the past, but there's a point of no return. And certainly when they succeed in actually overturning elections and installing a dictator that doesn't leave and doesn't have to have fair election anymore, that seems like a really serious place we've never been that we can't come back from easily. Anyway, um, there's a vulnerability reported in a paper in the implementations of SHA-3 and other cryptographic algorithms that are proved by NIST. And this is not a flaw in the mathematical structure of the encryption algorithms. It's a hashing algorithm, but um, it is a flaw in the reference code that they give you to use. And they show how the code makes the usual kind of mistake. It has a 60, bunch of 64-bit integers being used, but one of them is, in fact, a 32-bit integer, and then it's cast to a different type improperly, so you have an integer overflow. If you put in a number near 2 to the 32, you can cause it to overflow and become a small number when it should be a large number, and then you can do an out-of-bounds write, like a buffer overflow, and uh, so it gives you the ability to corrupt memory. So this is an interesting issue and not really very surprising. I remember the um, author of the Zcash libraries to implement that cryptocurrency said, I found papers from academics proving these cryptographic principles, and I learned you never use any code written by an academic because academics just think about proving the point of the mathematics, and they don't write good code. They don't write quality code you can actually implement in production. They don't think about the issues of what's going to happen when I try to have a thousand servers servicing millions of customers all the time with this stuff. Um, their code is just a slapdash, you know, proof of concept, certainly true of all the code I write. And uh, so in a way, this is not too surprising. I wouldn't expect mathematicians to actually write secure code, but it is a thing to, to worry about because obviously people will just copy the reference code and use that. That's the natural thing to do. Android. Um, an article came out in from Microsoft. There is a clothing or fashion store called Shine, S-H-E-I-N. I didn't know about it, but they have an Android app. And their app was copying the contents of the clipboard and sending it back to remote servers, which is pretty awful. And they don't know why they're doing it. And they say it doesn't seem like they're doing it for any nefarious reason, although it certainly looks pretty nasty. Every time you put anything in the clipboard, the Shine app will copy it, and then it will check to see if it contains a dollar sign or colon slash 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 sequence, just two slashes, colon slash slash, like a URL. And if it does, then it will send it as a parameter to a marketing um 
URL in their APIs of post request, which sounds like what they're doing is they're keeping track of any websites you go to. And I'm not sure what the dollars is. Maybe they're trying to get the prices of things you click on. So they're trying to get information about um, what URLs you go to and what costs you look at, probably to get an idea how to target ads or something. But in any case, it's a serious invasion of privacy and breaking of the security system if the contents of the clipboard are being copied by apps and sent off to remote servers without your knowledge. And so um, in response to this, they, they've changed that app and Google has changed Android to fix this. And they have made three mitigations. Um, in Android 10 and above, an access, application cannot access the clipboard unless it currently has focus, which means it's right in front of you. So the only thing that will be reading or writing the clipboard is the current application you're using, which certainly makes sense. Um, that, of course, wouldn't have done anything about this attack. This attack actually happened while Shine was running in the foreground. And on Android 12 and above, it will pop up a little box on your screen called a toast. <coughs> the first time any app uses the clipboard. So at least you will get one warning. This app is using the clipboard, in case you didn't know. And then Android 13 is going to clear the contents of the clipboard after a period of time, which strikes me as a extremely weak and pointless protection. None of these defenses are really very impressive. In fact, I'm not sure any of these defenses would in fact have offered any protection against the specific problem here. So it shows kind of the weakness of the clipboard. The whole point of the clipboard is you put data in and it's available to other apps, and that just seems to be inviting you to steal it. But it's hard to see how you could protect it without breaking the basic functionality. And it looks to me like they haven't really come up with much of a defense here that makes any sense. And the stuff that seemed to be most important today, I've been watching with alarm as we get more and more hostile towards China. And the United States is now revealing that China is using Russia-type propaganda. Now, in the 2020 election, China considered intervening like Russia, but they didn't do it. Um, Russia specifically pushed Trump both in 2016 and 2020 with uh, vast amounts of carefully targeted information to influence voters, uh, hitting us on our weak spots. And China seems to have learned from this because they're using AI to write fake news stories in Central America to influence people against the United States. And just like Russia, they choose... Uh, they choose topics that make sense. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. They, um, yeah, they link um, attack the United States approach to stopping gun violence, uh, stress the importance of Chinese-U.S. cooperation for recovery of the economy, which is the sort of thing they've done before. And um, there are other ones where they hit, oh, um, can't find specific examples here, but they find things that really are a problem here. And sort of inflame them more, which is what you do. You make a propaganda is to take something that is true and then twist it or exaggerate it a little bit is the most effective propaganda. So they are learning to be hostile and to just sort of whip up anti-American sentiment. Um, so apparently they're buying the Russian line, which is that it's a zero-sum game. Hurting America helps Russia. And until now, you know, I've I've heard a lot of people say China doesn't have that attitude because hurting America doesn't help China because they're mainly a business partner. They want to keep trade flowing, but they seem to be changing to an openly hostile actor where they just want to hurt us. And this certainly fits the current statements made by the uh, president, Xi Jinping, and by um, the new foreign minister who have just made statements extremely clear saying we are going to have real conflict between U.S. and China if you don't change your course and uh, 
They say the U.S. say they're competing with us, but what they're really doing is containing and suppressing us, a zero-sum game. Just what I was worried about. And they say they supposedly want to put guardrails in these relations, but what they want is China not to react when slandered and attacked. Uh, they claim that the Chinese economy is in bad shape because of the U.S. denying them technology and blocking their sales, which I think is ridiculous and uh, probably reveals the real motivation of all of this, which is that the Chinese economy has been not growing at the rate it was because of the COVID lockdowns, which was the very poor policy of Xi Jinping. And now to cover that up, he is trying to blame some outside aggressor for it. And they also say that we are inflaming the situation in Taiwan by giving them weapons, which we shouldn't be doing in their opinion, which certainly does seem like that's going to be a flashpoint. And I don't know any way to stop it. And they're denying that they were going to give weapons to Russia to fight Ukraine, which is the current thing. This seems, from what I can tell, from it seems like a really good idea that the Biden administration has trumpeted this in advance, saying, China's talking about this, you better not do it. Sounds like they're saying they aren't going to do it. So maybe that uh, release of information had its desired effect. We'll see. But um, it just seems like we're slowly warming up to another war. Uh, like World War III here with uh, China and Russia and America. And everybody's just talking more and more angrily and letting these uh, conflicts grow. So at the very least, we might have a proxy war in Taiwan, like the proxy war in Ukraine, but this stuff might well ignite into a larger war. I'm not happy to see it. And there's more about Elon Musk. So Twitter had another outage caused by one engineer who did not know how to fix the API. They were trying to block third-party clients out of the API because Elon Musk wants to make money by charging for that. And uh, they managed to take Twitter down completely for a period of time because it blocked everybody out of the API. And then another guy who was the person of the year in um country he's from, Harold Thorlifston, um, and he was the person of the year there. He is a handicapped person with muscular dystrophy, but he was he owned a company which Twitter required and then became an employee of Twitter. And he's been a manager over teams doing apparently important things. And Musk just fired him. He didn't even know. He said, well, I can't access the my uh, Twitter resources anymore. I guess I've been fired. I contacted human resources. Am I fired or what? But there's nobody in human resources to answer this question. So he went on Twitter to tweet to Musk directly. And Musk said, well, I don't know. He said, well, you're fired. And he said, what were you? He said, there's no reason to fire me. He said, you weren't doing any real work. What were you doing? And he explains in an open Twitter conversation what he wasn't part of after saying, you know, I really don't want to say this publicly because it might violate confidentiality. Trump and Musk says, oh, it's approved. Go ahead and say it. And then he defends himself. And Musk just says, oh, you're not doing any real work. You're just fake. He did no actual work, claimed as an excuse that he had a disability that prevented him from typing, and yet was simultaneously tweeting up a storm. And uh, so anyway, it just seems like more of terrible, tyrannical activity on, on Musk's part to do personnel issues in public, to apparently just fire people capriciously and angrily for no good reason. And there's a, a good thing on the Disconnect blog explaining how Elon Musk did all this before at his earlier startups, the ones that led up to PayPal. Um, and he he just seems like the classic tyrannical boss demanding outrageous amounts of work, cutting the staff. And this thing where he says the whole API is going to have to be rewritten because it's too brittle. They say repeats a mistake he made before where he demands sudden changes, doesn't understand the technical complexity, then demands 
huge amounts of overhaul um, because he misunderstands the amount of effort required to do things. It's an interesting issue. The issue of technical debt is a real issue where you have older versions of things, old code running, you're trying to write new code, you have trouble changing things because all these old features that are sort of poorly understood keep breaking. At some point, you do have to stop and rewrite the whole thing, uh, but you have to carefully choose that point. And all of his actions at Twitter seem to be just panicked cost-cutting. Uh, so we'll see, but he paid far too much for the company and he's far too much in debt for it. So he tried to get out of the acquisition and after he acquired it, it's now an albatross around his neck financially, and that seems to be driving him. But a whole lot of it just seems to be his need to stay famous. And that's really his, you know, his whole brand is that he stays famous and popular, and that holds up his stock price where it shouldn't be. The, to maintain this image of the genius that is going to save the world, that's what it's all really about. So he's very, very much like Donald Trump, primarily focused on his image on the internet and uh, not on real accomplishments, as far as I can tell. Anyway, that's it for this one. And we'll have another one on Friday.